back and forth, President Donald Trump engages in a war of words with a Democratic lawmaker from Baltimore. Battle on the border. The acting director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services updates us on the situation at the boundary with Mexico. Looking for answers. An update on the search for the remains of a teen from Vatican City missing since the 80s. And a call for help. Pope Francis makes an appeal on behalf of migrants. On EWTN News Nightly for Monday, July 29th, 2019. Good evening from Washington, D.C., and thanks for joining us for news from a Catholic perspective. I'm Jason Calvi. Archbishop William Laurie says he's saddened by the president's criticism of Baltimore. The city's archbishop is responding to a flurry of weekend tweets from President Donald Trump. The president began by blasting Maryland's Congressman Elijah Cummings and then went on to slam the city he represents. White House correspondent Mark Irons reports from Baltimore. Good evening, Mark. Jason, over half the city of Baltimore sits in Maryland Congressman Elijah Cummings' district. And it became President Trump's punching bag this weekend after Cummings was first critical of migrant detention centers and the conditions there on the U.S.-Mexico border. What does that mean? What does that mean when a child is sitting in their own feces, can't take a shower? Come on, man. Congressman Elijah Cummings takes on President Trump's acting Homeland Security chief, and now President Trump strikes back, labeling Cummings a brutal bully who, instead of the border, should focus on his district in Baltimore. The president calls it a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess, saying no human being would want to live there. The president attacking Cummings further, tweeting he does nothing for his very poor, very dangerous, and very badly run district. The president's tweets didn't go unchallenged. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren called the president's remarks racist. It is insulting both to the congressman and to the people he represents. And the Archbishop of Baltimore, William Lorry, writes, It saddens me to see Baltimore severely denigrated by President Trump. Many good people are working together to address Baltimore's challenges and to build on its strengths. They deserve the support of elected officials and their fellow citizens. And right here in downtown Baltimore, America's first cathedral right across the street from the third largest Catholic charities. And the executive director of Catholic Charities in Baltimore, Bill McCarthy, is trying to address the issues facing vulnerable people in the Baltimore area. Families and children living in poverty, families and children in crisis, older Marylanders, our new neighbors in the immigrant community, individuals with intellectual disabilities. He believes the president's words aren't helping. They're not constructive. They're actually destructive. They're baiting statements. In 2015, Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders said walking through some of the neighborhoods in Baltimore would make you think you're in a third world country. Now, over the years, we've done a number of stories in this city. And like many other large U.S. cities, some areas are more developed than others. It just so happens tonight, Baltimore is in the spotlight. Jason. White House correspondent Mark Irons in Baltimore. Thanks, Mark. And coming up later in the newscast, we'll talk more about this topic with Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. President Trump signs a bill to help victims of September 11th. It makes sure the Victims Fund never runs out of money. Today, we come together as one nation to support our September 11th heroes, to care for their families, and to renew our eternal vow, never, ever forget. More than 60 first responders from the 2001 attacks gathered in the Rose Garden. The president told them they inspire all of humanity. The director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, quits. His last day will be August 15th. 
Coates and President Trump sparred over Russian interference in the 2016 election. The president will replace Coates with Representative John Ratcliffe of Texas. A federal judge throws out a Catholic teen's lawsuit against the Washington Post. Covington Catholic High School student Nicholas Sandman in February sued the newspaper. He asked for $250 million. It's the case of Nicholas Sandman versus the Washington Post. A federal judge finds it is ordered and a judge that the complaint herein be and is hereby dismissed with prejudice. The issue at hand, this encounter between the teenager and Native American Nathan Phillips in January near the Lincoln Memorial. Phillips says he was being blocked by Sandman and other teens. The newspaper reported Phillips' opinion. The $250 million lawsuit accused the Washington Post of falsely labeling Sandman a racist. His attorneys pointed to seven Washington Post articles and three Twitter posts they considered defamatory to Sandman. The judge ruled the First Amendment protects the opinions published by the Post. The paper agreed. From our first story on this incident to our last, we sought to report fairly and accurately the facts that could be established from available evidence, the perspectives of all of the participants, and the comments of the responsible church and school officials. We are pleased that this case has been dismissed. Former federal law clerk Margot Cleveland finds fault in the ruling. Yes, of course they have the right to free speech, but that does not give them the right to portray a 16-year-old child in the media as a racist. This had a devastating effect on this individual, his family, his community, and it's something that can't be tolerated. The Sandman family attorney says they will appeal. They've also filed lawsuits against CNN and NBC. Those cases are still in the courts. And the Archdiocese of St. Louis releases a list of 61 clergy facing credible allegations of sexual abuse. It says none are still in ministry. The list also named three more priests accused of having child pornography. Archbishop Robert Carlson says publishing the names was hard, but the right thing to do. An attacker shoots a priest in Mexico. He was hurt while riding in a taxi. The cab driver is dead. The shooting took place in the city of Cuernavaca. Police haven't shared a motive. More and more assaults are targeting priests in the country. According to reports, since 2012, two dozen have been killed. And in Sudan today, at least five people were killed in protests. Activists say security forces used violence to break up student protests. The protesters are seeking a return to civilian rule. The military in April overthrew President Oman al-Bashir. Hong Kong police last night fired tear gas at protesters. They had used barricades to block a major street. Pro-democracy and anti-government rallies erupted this summer in the former British territory. The Holy See says hundreds of bones found near a Vatican cemetery are too old to be from a missing girl. That 15-year-old girl disappeared in 1983. Forensic experts say the bones date from before the 20th century. The fam family of Emanuela Orlandi asked to have the tomb opened based on a tip. Orlandi was the daughter of a Vatican employee who lived in Vatican City. She disappeared after a music lesson in Rome. Hannah Brockhaus, who's been covering the story for Catholic News Agency, joins us from Rome. Orlandi went missing over 35 years ago. Why is there such intense interest in this case now? Well, 
Jason, this case, interest in this case reignited last summer when the Orlandi family received an anonymous tip that there may be a clue to their daughter's whereabouts in the cemetery inside the Teutonic College in the Vatican. So the Vatican agreed this spring to open two tombs located there to investigate the bones found within it to find if they belong to Orlandi. Now, when they opened those tombs in a surprising twist, they did not find any human remains, not even those that they expected to find. They did later in another area nearby find some remains, some human remains. And the latest development is that this weekend, those were studied, but they were found to predate the 20th century. So those bones could not belong to Ormanuela Orlandi. Who went missing in 1983? So the missing girl's sister was there this past Saturday. As those experts examined, as they studied those bones, uh, what's the family's reaction today? Well, we have a request for a statement into the family's lawyer. But throughout this investigation, Pietro Orlandi, the brother of Emanuela, has expressed his desire and hope to solve this case. But he did also say that it was sort of a relief to not find his sister's remains, um, both for him and for his mother, who still lives inside the Vatican. So what's next in this case? Is, is the Vatican expected to be involved? No, we do not expect the Vatican to continue to be involved in this case. They have said that this concludes their involvement in it. They expressed throughout the investigation their closeness to the Orlandi family. And they did say as well that they've cooperated with all of their requests, but this does not imply some sort of responsibility or complicity in the mis missing disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. Hannah Brockhaus from our sister news site, Catholic News Agency. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Jason. Coming up, analysis of the president's tweets against a Democratic lawmaker and the city of Baltimore, and saying goodbye to a cardinal in Cuba. As we told you earlier in the show, President Trump is not backing down from his claims calling Baltimore a rat and rodent infested mess. He's also criticizing Baltimore Congressman Elijah Cummings. Joining us now is Michael Knowles, host of the Michael Knowles Show on the Daily, uh, the Daily Wire. What did you think of the president's comments and what do you make of accusations that it's racist? Well, I mean, I know that we've boiled this word down or diluted this word racism to mean just about anything we disagree with these days. But in a very technical way, the comments are not racist. They do not bring up anybody's race. They don't discriminate against someone for their race. Bernie Sanders made almost exactly the same comments. Nobody called him a racist for it. The black Democratic mayor of Baltimore made far tougher comments on uh, Baltimore using similar language to President Trump. Nobody called her racist. They only say that this is racist because the president said it, and this is the line that they use when they've run out of an argument. Uh, now, the, the question, it, se it seems to me the comments are true. Baltimore has some of the worst crime in the entire country. They have some of the highest murder rates in the entire country. It's a really tough place to live. The mayor herself said there are rats and trash everywhere, and that is a failure of the political leadership, including Elijah Cummings, who has been the representative there for a long time. He 
has been in office in Baltimore for 36 years. The problem has only gotten worse. The New York Times admitted this just this past March. They called it a tragedy, what has happened there. So the comments are true. The comments are not racist. The question is, are the comments politically helpful to the president, or are they politically harmful to the president? And it seems to me they're, they're quite helpful. As you have right now, uh, presidential candidates, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and others, defending Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton, who is now going to have a press conference in Baltimore, a race-hustling extortionist. He launched his career on a rape hoax and on calling for violence against Jews in New York and a, a number of other egregious uh, actions in his life. You now have the Democratic Party endorsing this man, who even in his own city of New York is extraordinarily unpopular. It seems to me this is a bad idea for Democrats who want to win a presidential election next year. They are endorsing uh, very unpopular people. They're associating themselves with unpopular people. They're coming out and haranguing the police, for instance, the third most popular institution in the country, third most trusted. They're even protesting the American flag. They're even celebrating people who denigrate the American flag. This seems to be President Trump's political superpower. He's able to uh, get his opponents to defend the, the most unpopular institutions and to identify him even with, say, the American flag itself or safety or security or prosperity. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the debates tomorrow night. We have the, the Democrats. We have Joe, uh, Bernie Sanders on stage tomorrow, and, and you had quoted him as well as Mark Irons had quoted him earlier mm -hmm. in the newscast as the fact that here's the quote right here from the Burlington Free Press, and he says, uh, you know, when you're visiting Baltimore, you, you know, you would think this was a, we're in a third world country. So that's on the record there from Bernie Sanders. We'll see if he's asked about that tomorrow in the debates. But I do want to get to Archbishop William Laurie, the Archbishop of Baltimore. You yourself are Catholic. Uh, William Laurie, Archbishop, uh, said, you know, the people, there's good people in Baltimore. They deserve the support of elected officials. Um, you know, doesn't the president have the responsibility to promote civic discourse and, and to really shy away from personal attacks. Of course. Well, President Trump is not making a personal attack against Elijah Cummings. He's making a professional attack. The man has had 36 years to clean up his own district, and it's only gotten worse under his leadership. So I think the, the attack against Representative Cummings is absolutely appropriate. And of course, the, the people of Baltimore, which is historically a, a wonderful city and has fallen into very difficult times, are they deserve decent political leadership, and that has been uh, deprived of them for the past several decades. But that's not President Trump's fault. President Trump didn't cause the problems in Baltimore. And if he's shining a light on it now, then I hope that the people who are actually responsible for that city will respond. But instead, I think they want to launch unfair attacks and malign the uh, character of the president rather than actually clean up their own towns. But, but your colleague Ben Shapiro actually says the president does not have a plan to help Baltimore. What do you make of that? Well, I'm a federalist, as, as is Ben and as are many other people. So, of course, uh, I, I don't think the president has any antipathy toward the people of Baltimore. I think he wants to help the people of Baltimore. But what at the federal level is the president of the United States supposed to do for a city that suffers from local political corruption? I, I, I'm very skeptical of, of federal plans. As, as Ronald Reagan used to say, the nine most dangerous words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, this, this is incumbent on people at the local level and at the state level to do something about it. And I don't think we need an answer for every single political problem in the country from the leader of the free world. You had suggested that uh, 
that th this might help the president? I, I, how is this going to help the president? I mean, this just seems to be nasty politics, people trading barbs on, on Twitter. Unfortunately, though, uh, negative politics works, and unfortunately, attack ads work as well. That's why all politicians use them. Uh, it would be wonderful if the president were, were able to make himself acceptable to a wide slew of Americans and very kind and genial and, and operating in, in ways of individual grace that we ourselves want to operate in. Uh, our political moment isn't terribly graceful or charitable or merciful. And if he has attacks being lobbed against him from Elijah Cummings and from all of his other political opponents, unfair attacks, maligning him, he, he has to fight back. You know, you have two different uh, tactical and strategic approaches. You have the kind, genial Republicans, Mitt Romney, say, who want to stay away from cultural issues. And you have the culture warriors who are not going to win so much by making themselves acceptable, but by portraying their opponents as unacceptable. Governor Romney lost his election for president. President Trump won his election, and we'll see in 2020 if that strategy is going to, to bear fruit in, in moving forward. Okay, Michael Knowles, thank you so much from The Daily Wire. Appreciate your time. Thanks very, for very having much. Thank you very much. And the faithful in Cuba say a final goodbye to Cardinal Jaime Ortega. <laughs> All of the country's Catholic hierarchy attended, as did several government officials. Former President Raul Castro sent flowers. So did current President Miguel Diaz-Canel. Cardinal Ortega died Friday. He was 82 years old. Up next, the acting director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services updates us on the efforts at the border with Mexico. And the Holy Father calls for greater safety for migrants. The Supreme Court rules in favor of the Trump administration on a case involving the border wall. The justices said Friday the president can use billions of dollars from the Pentagon to build parts of the fence. Five justices sided with the president, four against. The administration has awarded four contracts using Defense Department money. President Trump calls the decision a victory for the rule of law. Joining me now is Ken Cuccinelli, Acting Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Welcome back, Director Cuccinelli. Good to be with you. Appreciate your time. So a couple big victories last week for the Trump administration. The Supreme Court on Friday ruled that you can use military funds to build 100 miles of border wall. Right. What impact will this have? Uh, well, it doubles up the administrative capacity to do building. And uh, it's obviously a major legal breakthrough to get access to this funding. So we're very encouraged by this. And all of the barrier and wall we're talking about gets targeted to the high traffic areas where it can do the most good. So your wheelhouse, what you oversee is legal immigration as well as asylum seekers. That's right. And you had a big news update on Friday, a deal with Guatemala that says anybody who wants to seek asylum in the United States passing through Guatemala must first seek refugee status or asylum right. status in Guatemala. That's what right. does this mean? Well, it's a, as we unfold this, and Guatemala has some steps to take, as do we, it will be a tremendous boon. And we have capacity down in Guatemala to assist them and to do handle uh, claims ourselves. Uh, this is going to be a tremendous boon to trying to stop the flood of human smuggling and trafficking going on at the southern border. 
uh, and the wave of illegal migration going on down there. People do have the right, though, to seek asylum. A UN Declaration of Human Rights says, hey, right. you have the right to seek asylum. So that's point number one. And point number two is there's violence in Guatemala. I mean, there. Uh, well, is there's violence in, in America, but th they, they have safe parts of their country just as we do. Um, for us, we're better off, we're a more developed mm -hmm. nation, and so forth. But asylum is about safety, not forum selection. And um, the, the rule we also passed last week uh, that went into effect would require asylum seeking on your path up. Now, it wouldn't apply to Mexico because they don't pass through another country. Um, and it's the same concept. We're trying to reserve humanitarian relief for those without other options, which is the history of humanitarian relief and asylum relief. Um, and also, of course, we take in refugees as well, and that's still underway. Um, uh, and my agency handles refugees as well. So we're doing all those things at once. What we're swamped with is illegal asylum claims, people who know they don't have a legitimate asylum claim. And let's remember, asylum is for people who are persecuted for their faith or for their political beliefs and so forth. That's the long tradition. There are other ca categories, but that's the tradition. That isn't to go find your favorite place to live and move there. It's to get safe from where you are. And none of the Northern Triangle governments, including Guatemala, are oppressive governments. If this was the 1980s, we might look at this a little differently in Central America. But that is not the case in Central America anymore. They're working to, to fight gangs. The new president of El Salvador is doing a great job in his first few months. And they're working on economic opportunity. Uh, we want to be their partner in all of that, but first we have to stop the flood of illegal invasion uh, and migration at our southern border. A lot more to talk about. I hope you can come back. Director Cuccinelli, thank you so much. Good for to be time. with you. Appreciate it. And Pope Francis asks the world to quickly act to stop more migrants from dying at sea. E garantire la sicurezza e la dignità di tutti. It came during his Sunday speech at the Vatican. The Holy Father prayed for the roughly 150 refugees who died last week in the Mediterranean Sea. The pontiff urged nations to act promptly to avoid similar tragedies. And finally tonight, Egan Bernal of Colombia yesterday won cycling's Tour de France. One of the ways he celebrated was by making the sign of the cross with his brother and girlfriend. The 22-year-old is the youngest winner in more than 100 years. He also is the first winner from South America. It was a very close race. First and third place were separated by one minute, 31 seconds. Bernal said afterward, he cannot believe it. It's just incredible. I'm Jason Calvi, and for the entire EWTN News Nightly team, thanks for watching tonight. We'll be back tomorrow with more news from a Catholic perspective. Good night, and God bless.